Hello and welcome to Human Voices, a podcast exploring stories from artists and filmmakers who are creating socially aware and relevant art. I'm Sean Kaufman, and I'm your host of today's episode. Today, we are joined by Katie Christensen, State Director of North Dakota for Planned Parenthood, and Christy Wolf, Executive Director of the North Dakota Women's Network. As part of the 2021 North Dakota Human Rights Film Festival, Katie and Christy joined the Human Family for a discussion in Minot, North Dakota about the right to access health care. The discussion took place after a screening of the feature documentary, The Eighth, which traces Ireland's campaign to remove the Eighth Amendment, a constitutional ban on abortion. The documentary shows a country's transformation from a conservative state in the thrall of the Catholic Church to a more liberal, secular society. Katie and Christy share their thoughts on the film, on access to health care for women in North Dakota, and what a looming decision from the Supreme Court on Roe v. Wade may mean for the women in our state. Thank you so much for being with us tonight. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to introduce Katie Christensen and Christy Wolf. Katie is our state director for Planned Parenthood, and Christy is our executive director of the North Dakota Women's Network. And before we get too far into tonight's conversation, I thought it would be great to share a little bit about what you do and what your organizations do with our audiences who may not have heard uh, about your organizations before. And I'll start with Katie, because I think people think they know what Planned Parenthood is all about, but I don't think they really know what Planned Parenthood is all about. So share with us a little bit about what you do and what the organization does. Sure. Thank you so much for having me. It's a real honor. And um, it's quite exciting to get to be able to communicate with people in my not from here in Fargo. So it's exciting to see you have um, you have your crowd there. Um, so like Sean said, my name is Katie Christensen. My pronouns are she, her. I've been with Planned Parenthood for um, close to nine years. And um, when I describe what Planned Parenthood does, I kind of like to think of us as this three-legged stool that we kind of have these three buckets of work that we do. One bucket is that we provide healthcare services. So we have clinics throughout the country that provide reproductive services, family planning services, birth control, testing. Um, And we do have some clinics that provide abortions. We don't actually have any Planned Parenthood clinics in the state of North Dakota, but we do have a a family planning clinic in Moorhead, Minnesota. So we do see quite a few North Dakota patients at that clinic. North Dakota does have one abortion provider. It's an independent provider, the Red River Women's Clinic. Um, We support them fully. They provide really wonderful, compassionate care there. Um, And so I think sometimes there's a little bit of a misconception there that we actually don't have any clinics in the state. Now, those other two legs of the stool, one of them is sex education. And so that is something that we definitely do here in North Dakota. We started um, sex ed in North Dakota through a grant partnership with North Dakota State University. Unfortunately, due to some political meddling in the last legislative session, we had to um, sever ties with um, NDSU, but we still continue to provide evidence-based, medically accurate, inclusive, relevant sex ed on our own now. And then that third leg is advocacy and outreach. So what we try to do is provide a lot of education in the state. We try to protect um, just basically different uh, reproductive rights. So we try to protect abortion in the state. Um, We try to advance policy related to to birth control and to access to different services. So those are kind of our three buckets that we do here. Um, I would say my job tends to focus pretty heavily on that advocacy and on that education, like I said before, because we don't have a clinic in the state. So that that kind of sums up what I do. Um, So I'll 
I'll pass it over to Christy. Thank you, Katie. As Sean said, my name is Christy Wolf. I am the executive director of the North Dakota Women's Network, and my pronouns are she, her. Um, the North Dakota Women's Network mission is to improve the lives of women in North Dakota. One of the main things that we do is education. We have several different sessions that we provide for women, including Ready to Run, which is really kind of just what it sounds like, um, giving women some of the tools to get ready for, to run for office. We also have a education workshop called We Rise, and that it happens every other year during the North Dakota legislative session. And it's really this education session to demystify the North Dakota legislative process. And then we invade the Capitol for a day and have a hands-on education session to really understand what the process is like and, and help women and girls dive into that process. And we do a variety of other education sessions throughout the year. Um, we also do policy work. In fact, this week I have been at the Capitol every day during special session and I am at the Capitol and we have advocates at the Capitol during the regular session working on policy work. But we also work on policy work at a local level. We have advocates across the state um, that may ask for help with different issues regarding a variety of women's issues. And then activism. Um, one of the latest things that we've also introduced is our North Dakota Women's Network Youth Action Council. One of our big projects there is the North Dakota Period Project and Planned Parenthood is our kind of 50-50 partner in that. So um, our Youth Action Council is joined together with Planned Parenthood. And just in the last few months, the youth involved in that project have created over 400 period packs, which are really these pencil packs filled with a variety of menstrual products and they're being distributed throughout the state of North Dakota. And so we're really excited about our, our Youth Action Council la launching this year and some of the work that they are doing and our continued um, work with Planned Parenthood. The other thing I just want to, I want to say thank you to everybody who put this event together today and all the attendees for their continued partnership with uh, the North Dakota Women's Network. Thank you so much to uh, both of you for being a part of uh, tonight's conversation. I want to share with our audience that I've got some questions that will speak to some of the issues that uh, we face here in North Dakota. But right at the end, if there are any questions here in the audience for either of our guests, just let me know and we'll get those questions answered for you. But before we dig too far into North Dakota, let's talk about Ireland for a moment. What did you both uh, think of the film as you watched it? Any initial thoughts that that came came to you as you uh, experienced the journey that uh, we we had? Yeah, sure. I would. I'd be happy to share. Um, I, yeah, I had never seen it. And so, I mean, it was really eye-opening, really intriguing. And it was kind of this glimpse into what, you know, what it would be like to be in an abortion ban. And I, I think we saw some pretty scary outcomes. And I think, I think one of the stories that stuck out to me the most was um, the young girl who had experienced rape and that her parents wanted to take her to England for an abortion that she wanted. Um, and they even faced some legal battles and some court restrictions in them even being able to do that. And um, that was just so shocking and, and scary to me. Um, and, and I think there was a, a doctor that was speaking at one point in time um, and we, it really resonated with me that he said, you know, we have abortion in Ireland, that people travel to get abortions or they have the medical abortion pills delivered to them. And I think that that is just such a powerful message that abortion bans don't eliminate abortion. They just make it more difficult um, for people to access them in, in safe and legal manners. Um, so I think there was a lot of really powerful messaging um, in the documentary, and I'm, I'm really glad I got to see it. 
I also had never seen it and was really glad that I had the opportunity. Um, one of the things I have to say is I, I really have a lot of new chance slogans and sign ideas for our activism work. I was jotting them down as I was seeing them and hearing them. Also, you know, I, what Katie said about the 14 year old, I think as they were talking about that, something that really stood out to me uh, when they were discussing that case, there was a pastor and his comment to the case was, oh, well, now, you know, every girl can just say that she's suicidal or raped and kind of the smug response to this really horrible situation. Uh, and that just that really just kind of hit me. The other thing that I think when we're looking at our policy work in North Dakota, I did a lot of comparing as to what we see and all of the mistrust of the church there, where in North Dakota, we see the exact opposite. Um, you know, the, the Catholic conference has a very heavy presence at the legislature and um, they're very well respected in this um, in this debate. And so that was definitely something that I saw was that was very different. And then the last thing was the number of people that flew home to vote that I just I got I got choked up watching that. The ending was incredibly powerful. The vote to to switch in, in such an interesting way that it mirrored what had happened 34 years ago in terms of the implementation of the ban. So to have an equal number of people come back and say, no, this was this was a bad idea. Let's let's reset this was pretty remarkable. And, and you know, Christy, you said you mentioned policy. You're at the special session. As we focus in on North Dakota, I'll, I'll pitch this first question to you. Is an outright ban on abortion bad policy? Yeah, absolutely. So, yes, um, I do believe that an outright ban is a bad policy. And prior to my work at the North Dakota Women's Network, I worked in tobacco prevention for many years. And I'd always get asked by lawmakers, well, you know, if this is so bad, why don't you just ban it? And my response was always the same. We know that prohibition doesn't work. History has taught us that prohibition doesn't work. You know, we can look back at you know alcohol and the war on drugs, and it, and it just doesn't work. What a ban or prohibition would create is an unsafe environment. It would not stop abortion. It would create women seeking abortions in an unsafe manner or traveling, um, just as they did in the film. And so, um, as as a policy, no, it's not a good policy. Yeah, and um, um, and I would add to that something similar that I said earlier is that we know that abortion exists whether it's legal or not, um, and that's the case throughout the entire world. And so, if we even look at maternal mortality rates throughout the entire world in places where people cannot access abortion or where they're illegal or restricted, we actually see rises in maternal mortality. And so, really, the question is: Do we want abortion to be safe and legal and accessible, or do we want it to be restricted? And, and unsafe and, and hidden and kept a secret. Um, so an outright ban um, is, is definitely harmful for our, our overall public health. I also thought it was interesting um, that we mentioned the, the big defeat of this amendment, um, the repealing that amendment in Ireland by two to one, because we had a personhood ballot measure here in North Dakota um, a few years back, which would have banned abortion in the state, and it was defeated two to one. So, I mean, the voters of North Dakota have shown in the past that they don't want a flat out ban here on abortion in this in this state. I'm glad you bring that history up. And just by a show of hands in the audience, how many uh, people here were aware of that vote? Uh, so we have uh, one. Uh, maybe two. I'm going to divert for a moment, Katie, from our questions to ask one that you mentioned earlier. How important is education to our communities around these issues? And what does it mean when 
legislatures are meddling with the education process and preventing that from happening? Yeah, that that's a that's a really great question. And I think what it really highlights is kind of this bigger, broader picture on this attack on, on reproductive rights and reproductive health care, um, that clearly abortion needs to remain safe and legal and accessible. There's no doubt about that. But when we're also seeing attacks on, on sex education, that we're even trying to limit um, people's ability to get medically accurate and evidence-based sex education, that's an attack on reproductive rights. And um, when Christy and I were speaking earlier before this call, we were talking about, we, we see that a lot of our state legislators, they don't want to support paid family leave. They don't necessarily want to support, you know, uh, making childcare accessible and affordable. So we're seeing kind of these overall attacks on just this ability to make decisions about our own reproductive lives. Um, And when we think about reproductive rights, it's really that decision to parent or to not parent. And so it's, it's not like we're saying that we want all pregnancies prevented, but we want people to have this ability to become pregnant and to parent when, when it fits right, when it feels right in their lives. And it feels like there's this overall attack on that huge bubble. And and basically what a lot of these bans are doing is kind of leading to the situation where we're forcing people to continue with pregnancies. It's almost like a forced pregnancy. And and I think when we're looking at at policy work and some of these kind of attacks on education, there's unintended consequences that come from that too, right? Um, I, I We see some of these policies are labor, laser focused on maybe one organization or one particular program, but there's fallout and consequences that happen um, that kind of bleed into other programs, other organizations. Um, and then also the time that, you know, as some of the stuff that just happened in the last legislative session, um, the time that these universities are having to spend to make sure that they're in compliance with these really kind of outrageous laws. So there, there are a lot of consequences to these attacks on education. I'd actually like to add one thing to that. It maybe popped into my head as Christy was speaking that when we were going through this legislative battle with our education program, we had state legislators that seemed to even indicate that they wouldn't want college students to intern with us. So you have students going to a public university seeking out degrees in sociology or psychology or women and gender studies. And if they want to intern with an organization like Planned Parenthood, you have legislators trying to say, no, you can you can just intern somewhere else. And so even that is an attack on that student's right to pursue these uh, you know these internships and these these opportunities to develop skills in this area um, so it, it does feel very overreaching and very broad when when we start looking at this bigger picture looking again at policy in North Dakota, what we were expecting in this legislative session was a replication of the ban on abortion in Texas. If that were to take place, what would that mean for families and for women in North Dakota if it were implemented? Yeah, so the the Texas ban is is very scary for many reasons. Um, so if you're not familiar with it, it, it's basically a ban at six weeks. It's it's a ban when um, a fetal the fetal heart tones are present. Um, at this point in time in the pregnancy, many people don't even realize their pregnancy, especially if you're not trying to get pregnant. But what this this law in particular does is it actually gives citizens the power to enforce it. So it gives citizens the right to sue an abortion provider or even somebody who drives somebody to the abortion 
abortion clinic, that they're supporting the facilitation of an abortion somehow. So it's a it's a really, really scary law. And Sean, like you mentioned, we have had legislators who said that they would use this as a model for here in, in North Dakota. Um, basically, what that would do is it would ban most abortions in the state and it would create a, basically an abortion desert. And, and I think something that we need to keep in mind when it comes to these abortion bans or, or closing clinics or, or closing down states is that this really hurts some of our most vulnerable people. So if you think about the state of North Dakota going dark in terms of abortion access, we might have abortion access in other states. Somebody who has wealth, um, somebody who has connections, they might be able to fly or drive to an abortion clinic somewhere else um, and still get an abortion. But some of our most vulnerable populations where maybe you don't have access to money, maybe you don't have access to childcare, they're not gonna be able to seek out their abortions. And, and what we know is that women who are denied abortions or denied access to abortion, there's a lot of research that shows that this creates a host of hardships for them that continue for years and years. There's economic hardships, um, more likely to stay with a, a violent partner. Um, these women might be more likely to raise children alone. And we see that a lot of people who seek out abortions, the reason that they say they're seeking them is so that they can, because they already have children and they want to be able to provide well for those kids. So when somebody is denied an abortion, it can oftentimes have an impact on the, the children that they already have. Um, so we see this host of consequences that this burden is carried by populations that tend to be more vulnerable in, in the first place. Um, so I, I would say that it, it would have it would have cascading effects here in North Dakota if we were to see something like this implemented here. You know, I'd like to add that I know you you actually talked about the Texas law, but, you know, in North Dakota, we've seen some extreme policies brought forward to the legislature just in uh, 2021. We had House Bill 1313, and that would have created a felony for women and for doctors um, that were providing abortion care. Um, it would have even created criminal charges for anyone who like aided or abetted someone in getting an abortion. And that could have been anything from giving them gas money to caring for their children. Um, so looking to criminally charge anyone who was involved in the process. You know, this bill was actually so extreme that we didn't see some of the kind of normal supporters of of anti-choice legislation even come forward to support it. So, you know, we do see these types of policies and policies like, like House Bill 1313 potentially could subject women who miscarry to investigations to, to find out if they really miscarried. Um, and it also would require a doctor to not be able to adequately care for a patient. Um, you know, in the movie we saw, I think her name was Savita. Um, and when she had requested a termination, they said her life was not in danger in that, at that time, but ultimately she ended up losing her life. Um, and, and during this testimony um, in the legislative session in 2021, we had really powerful testimony from doctors who were talking about different situations where women's lives, if you have to wait until a woman's life is actually in danger, oftentimes it's too late. There's preventative work that can be done um, prior to a woman's life actually being in danger. Uh, you know, when we're talking about things like ectopic pregnancies and a variety of different issues. So these types of bad policies um, have really this plethora of consequences. And, and we we have seen these bad policies introduced in North Dakota and, and we believe we'll continue to see them. 
I want to follow up with one thing that Christy said there um, was we were going through this House Bill 1313 in this last session is that um, if a pregnancy is the result of a rape and if a person were to seek out an abortion, if that law had been in effect, the abortion provider would face a harsher penalty than a rapist. And I think that says a lot about our, our unfortunately, like the priorities and the values of our of our state legislators. And, and just one more thing I wanted to add, too, is bad policy. You, you kind of talked about it earlier, but bad policy is not allowing good policy. Um, Katie had touched on it. It's, you know, when we're the exact same lawmakers for saying that they want to, you know, ban abortions or reduce abortions or eliminate them are also saying they don't want policies that uh, allow for comprehensive sex education. They're trying to get rid of partnerships with Planned Parenthood. They don't really support adequate access to affordable contraceptives. You know, we know those policies um, reduce abortion rates. And so they're not willing to look at those good policies. So we also consider that bad policy. It's terrifying to hear what is happening at the state level in regards to reproductive rights. I'm going to jump forward a question because I think it's really important to to talk about what we can do as a community or as individuals and families who are in support of reproductive rights to help ensure that this kind of legislation doesn't get passed. So for our audiences online and, and here in the theater, what can they do to help ensure access to reproductive rights and to ensure that the legislation that you both just articulately shared that has been introduced in North Dakota doesn't pass and hopefully doesn't even make it to the floor in the future? I, I can start. Um, well, one of the things I'm going to throw out there is run for office. We need people, whether it be school board, whether it be the legislature, we need people in those seats um, that are willing to look at good policies, support policies like comprehensive sex education, um, like adequate access to contraceptives, contact your legislators, contact your school board about sex education, serve on the board of councils and organizations that support access to, to um, comprehensive sex education, to reproductive rights. Um, and one thing that I, I think we forget about is we need to talk about abortion. Because if we continue to be scared and not talk about it and make it taboo, um, it will continue to be stigmatized. We need to normalize talking about sex education, talking about abortion, um, wear your gear, Go to the store and your I stand with Planned Parenthood shirt and, you know, your win fund beanie and your all your pro-choice gear. Um, we helped facilitate the Women's March in Bismarck. And one of our speakers talked about how she went out and she had one of her beanies on and she was getting coffee. And this girl behind the counter kept looking at her and she was just waiting because she saw her looking at her beanie. And all of a sudden she leaned over and she went, cool hat. Um, and so she had that opportunity to kind of have that positive message when she was actually waiting for a negative message um she, she got the exact opposite so uh th those are some things that just some little things that we can do yep i would totally echo that especially the contacting your legislators um i think what we oftentimes hear or, or at least what's brought to me from walking around the capitol is sometimes legislators 
they want to vote a particular way, but they're worried that their constituents are going to get mad at them. And so let actually contacting your legislators and letting them know that you want them to protect reproductive rights, you want them to protect sex education, they need to hear that message repeatedly. And to echo that, what Katie said, even if you know that your legislator is good on a certain subject, contact them anyway, because that really does give them ammunition to say, hey, I heard from all my constituents. So so whatever side they're on, still contact them to, to give them that. Your story about the hat drew some laughter out of the theater. I want to share that with you. I want to, you know, in the, in the interest of educating our audiences about uh, some important conversations that are going to be taking place at the Supreme Court at the the, uh, the federal level here in just a, a couple of weeks, I wondered if we could focus on Roe versus Wade. And maybe the first question I'll ask as we, as we talk about this ruling is really to define what Roe versus Wade is. Because I think the same type of thing uh, with Planned Parenthood, I think people think they know what Roe versus Wade is uh, versus what it really is. So what is Roe versus Wade and what does it actually do? Sure. So what I can share is just the most basic explanation of Roe v. Wade is that it basically affirmed that access to safe and legal abortion is a constitutional right. And that was based on the right to privacy. So basically what Roe v. Wade is saying is that a person's private decisions about their health care is nobody else's business, that they have a right to seek out abortion. And it's nobody else's business. And and that that comes into play a lot of times that sometimes we will see um, what's called like, um, oh, I can't think of the word. Um, option bans or reason bans. I'm sorry. They're called reason bans that sometimes we'll see states try to say something like um, you can't have an abortion just because the fetus has an abnormality or trying to say you can't have um, an abortion based on the sex of the baby, um, the sex of the fetus. And those are reason bans. And basically um, this right to privacy says that it's nobody's business, that a person when they go in seeking an abortion it is their business and they have their own private reasons and the government has no say in whether and how, why or how a person should have access to this right. That's basically what Roe v. Wade does. It protects abortion to the point of viability um, and viability in terms of pregnancy is that point in the pregnancy where a fetus um, would live outside the womb if delivered. Um, so we typically see that somewhere between maybe like 23 and 25 weeks. So that's basically what Roe v. Wade does. And then, but we what we tend to see is some states then will start implementing um, other restrictions. So like in North Dakota, um, up until 20 weeks. So we'll see some states that maybe will say up to viability, some will have like a 20 week or a 22 week limit. So the extension of this is on December 1st, the Supreme Court is actually going to hear challenges to Roe versus Wade. So what's at stake in these arguments and what happens if the Supreme Court uh, denies the challenges or if they accept the challenges? Yeah. So basically what's going to happen is so this this case is revolving around Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization. And the Supreme Court will rule on the constitutionality of a pre-viability ban. So right now, abortion is protected to the point of viability. And what this case is going to do is it's going to make the Supreme Court 
just basically decide if a pre-viability ban is, um, is, is acceptable, is constitutional or not. Um, so from, from what I've heard and what I've gathered is there's a, a variety of outcomes that, that could happen here. So for instance, um, the Supreme Court could stand by Roe v. Wade and say, and say, and, and, and just keep it as is. Um, they could completely overturn Roe v. Wade, or they could dismantle it to some extent that maybe they would change Roe v. Wade a little bit. And those are things that we don't we don't necessarily know. That's kind of what's up in the air right now. Um, but I do think there are a lot of potential outcomes. Um, we do know that in North Dakota and actually um, South Dakota, just as south of us, we have trigger laws. And what that means is that if Roe v. Wade were to fall, abortion would immediately become illegal in our state. And one, one thing I'd like to add is, is really not in regards to role, but when Katie was talking about the different outcomes, even when we're looking at policy in the state also, a lot of times kind of that dismantling or chipping away is a really common tactic that we see um, because it's, it's almost uh, easier for them to do than totally overturning it. Um, you know, that we'll often see that happen. So then as they're chipping away, it's less likely to have public outrage than like overturning or, or creating a really extreme law. So so chipping away at laws is something that we see or chipping away at really those rights is something that we see very common within reproductive rights. What we do know about Roe v. Wade is there are multiple states that have these trigger bans like North Dakota and South Dakota. So if Roe v. Wade is impacted somehow or if it were to fall, we would definitely see these bans popping up in various states. Um, and it's estimated that about 25 million individuals would then have would then be lacking access to to safe and legal abortion because we would end up with kind of these abortion deserts where if you have multiple states that are near each other that all have these trigger bans, these trigger laws, um, then you're going to see abortion not be accessible for miles and miles and miles. Um, and, and so that's, I would say, the part that's probably the scariest about Roe v. Wade is that then it almost kind of turns it over to the states. So it's really going to depend on where a person lives, whether they have accessible, whether they have access to, to safe and legal abortion. December 1st could be a very important day when we think about uh, reproductive rights in, in the United States, and especially here in North Dakota with that a trigger wall. Out of curiosity, uh, another question for the audience, how many in the audience were aware that we had a trigger wall in place? I'm getting a, a lot of head shaking. Nobody in the, the room was aware that that was, that was a thing. So uh, again, education plays a very important part in these discussions. Uh, I'll give the audience a, a quick warning. I've got one more question for our panelists, and then I'm going to come and, uh, to you and, and see if you have any. I'm going to change the subject slightly uh, because right now, uh, on Monday, we had a, a very large contingent of people who were protesting the uh, vaccine mandates and mask mandates and such. And one of the things that the anti-vax movement has done is they've actually co-opted the my body, my choice phrase, which for a long time has been uh, associated with the reproductive rights movement. I wonder for our audiences, if you could uh, just take a moment to really distinguish the difference between using that phrase for reproductive rights versus what it's become with the anti-vax movement. 
Katie has a really great answer to that. <laughs> that she, <laughs> And then I can add a little something at the end, but I'm going to let Katie take that first. <laughs> okay, thanks. <laughs> um, so I would say when I think about this, I, I, I think about this, my body, my choice, um, this kind of co-opting this, is it looking at this more from a public health perspective, that the decision to get vaccinated protects your health and the health of the people around you from this global pandemic and from a medical disease. So it's similar to other public health health interventions. Um, moreover, whether you have or don't have an abortion, that doesn't adversely impact the health of somebody else around you. Um, so I would say they're misusing this phrase of ours um, in that, that vaccines are a public health initiative, much like other public health interventions that we would see, like doing different types of testing or vaccination clinics that, that our public health clinics do. And, you know, this is a common thing that we see kind of like the hijacking of our messaging. Um, we, we see it a lot. For instance, during the last legislative session, a lot of the legislators who were um, in support of the anti-trans athlete bill were, you know, saying they were fighting for women's rights. So they were using the guise of women's rights to discriminate. So this is something that we really commonly see across all of our issues is kind of the hijacking of our messaging. And I think ultimately, if we're looking at this from a public health perspective, vaccinations are good for our public health. Abortion bans are not. I mean, abortion bans lead to this cascade of, of other health um, outcomes that tend to be pretty negative and harmful. And, and that's not the case with vaccinations. Vaccinations are, you know, really keep our, our communities safe and healthy. Uh, are there any questions from the audience that uh, you have for either one of our panelists? I'm going to repeat that for you. Uh, and it's not really a question. Um, the audience says, Thank you very much for all the information you've shared. They really appreciate it. Living in Minot, uh, it is difficult for them to connect with their, their representatives. Uh, they send messages, but it doesn't. they don't necessarily get a response. Uh, so they really appreciate all of your energy, uh, all the work that you're doing, and uh, the effort that you're putting into uh, this movement. Did I repeat that? Uh, very well, I'm getting it. Yes. So thank you both. Well, and I would say thank you for being in my knot and holding true to these values to respect reproductive rights and try to promote them in your in your community. We need those voices throughout the whole state. Agreed. Well, I'll leave the, the, the final moments to both of you. Is there anything you'd like to share or add that we haven't just discussed tonight uh, that you'd like to, I guess, like a final thought? Is there anything you'd like to leave us with? Um, I think for me, a little bit kind of maybe going back to what what people can do. A lot of us that are doing this work can't do it without our supporters um, from having people on our boards to donations to showing up at our events. So, uh, you know, support. Planned Parenthood, support North Dakota Women's Network, support North Dakota Wind Fund, um, support Red River Women's Clinic. Um, we have Facebook pages, donation pages, websites and events. Um, so those are just a few of the organizations in the state that are constantly in this fight. And, and we need you to stay in this fight. I would totally echo that. I would say stay connected somehow to some type of organization. I know um, Christy and the North Dakota Women's Network, they often have Feminist First Fridays that are actually in quite a few um, locations throughout the state. So please try to connect with those. Um, and, and I really just like what we were talking earlier about try to talk to your peers and maybe your colleagues or someone. I think there's a lot of misunderstanding about abortion and, and what um, 
what abortion bans and abortion restrictions actually do and how they actually harm our, our communities and harm our, our overall public health. Um, and, and I think that's something that needs to be understood and needs to be shared more. Katie and Christy, we so appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedules to join us here in Minot. This was a great conversation and we so appreciate the, I'll echo our audience, we so appreciate the work that both of you are doing to protect these issues in North Dakota. Thank you so much for being here tonight. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thank you for having us. Human Voices is brought to you by The Human Family, a North Dakota-based 501c3 promoting human rights through film and art. Today's episode was produced, recorded, and mixed by me, Sean Kaufman. Series artwork by Leah Marie Eklund. Soundtrack by Peter McIsaac Music. Human Voices is a production of The Human Family. Programming from The Human Family is supported through the generosity of individuals like you. Learn more about and support the work of the human family by visiting human-family.org.